Aggies. Coordinated strike. And here we go. It is another coordinated strike. Welcome back. Welcome if this is your first show. This is going to be a little bit of a weird one because we're going to be talking all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down, and I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there, tell you how I became the prince of a town called Warwick, Rhode Island. And uh, we are back from Captain Con. Very excited to be back. Uh, very excited to have four, four wonderful days in the great state of Rhode Island, uh, visiting with all of my Northeastern friends and brand new uh, Northeastern friends. So I want to thank everybody who came out uh, for our two events. They were fantastic. They're going to be the bulk of what we talk about in this episode. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. We're going to be talking all about Captain Con. We're going to be talking about the Fields of Glory uh, tournament packet and its utilization that we did at Captain Con. We're going to be talking about the game in general. And we're going to have a lot of fun tonight. So I want to have a whole bunch of fun. It's been about a month since I've been able to record. Do apologize for that. Life gets in the way sometimes. And, uh, yeah, we're going to have a whole bunch of fun. But first, a word from our most excellent sponsors. But it's up and coming. It's right in front of you. It's the life of the party, the word on the street. It's in, it's always, and it's about time. It's where we're at, it's what you want, it's on your mind, it's in your mouth, it's pork, and it's catching on. Thank you, U.S. Pork Council, for not sponsoring the show, but I do delight in that commercial from 1994. So, let's get into it. Uh, Captain Con was absolutely amazing. Again, my one of my favorite cons to go to in the United States. Uh, for those that have not been, it is in a wonderful little hotel that is very close to the airport. Uh, very nice shuttle service that is provided to you free back and forth from the airport. Easy fly in, easy fly out, uh, especially from my metro airport, a lot of other metro airports as well. And if you're in the Northeast, it's probably an hour or two away from you because that's just how geography works. So very convenient uh, location, uh, a lot of fun. Uh, hotel itself, always nice, good beds, uh, interesting doors. Uh, you have to pull up on the door uh, to open it. So that is a little different than uh, it is where I'm from, where you just, you know, pull down on a door and it opens as opposed to pulling up. So that was a little bit of a culture shock uh, for me, even though this is the third time I've gone. The doors always get me. So that's that's my own little private thing for, for everyone now that's in the open. So now you know the terrible truth. Okay, so let's get in to sort of how the uh, the lead-up kind of went for this. Uh, I am I was running the events. Uh, we had two events scheduled for Friday and Saturday, uh, and we had very good pre-sale for them. We had uh, 10, 10 committed for the Saturday or the Friday event and eight committed for the Saturday event. And by golly, we got those numbers. We had 10 for Friday and eight for Saturday. And I want to thank each and every one of the people that came out and attended and had a good time at our tournament. At least I hope you all did. It looked like we were all having a really good time playing. Uh, a lot of positive comments uh, from people around our tournament, just kind of looking at our at our 
our game and, and commenting on it and was able to talk to a whole bunch of people about the game throughout the weekend. And that's something I'll get into a little bit later. But first, I want to talk about the tournaments themselves, particularly the Friday night. So we got in on Thursday, very, very um, easy flying, uh, not too bad. Woke up on the Friday, got downstairs, uh, was able to get our tournament area kind of staked out um, fairly early in the day. Uh, so I was able to set up some terrain, and this actually allowed us to do some pickup games uh, earlier in the day. We had some uh, some friends come down from the New Hampshire area, um, Chef Matt, a uh, real good friend of the show, uh, was able to come down. We were able to get a, a pickup game in before the tournament uh, itself. Uh, we met up with uh, with Mike and Kevin, uh, great guys as always. Uh, they have been uh, also in the long-term playtesting for this game, uh, so it was awesome to have them come down, help support the event, and uh, we had quite a bit of fun, which we will get into. So we did some pickup games on the Friday afternoon. Uh, and we had several people uh, just walk, rock up and, and start doing pickup games with us. Uh, most of them were actually coming for the event. So we had a lot of people in uh, in early and actually starting to play games well before the event itself. So that was awesome to see. So we had uh, probably about three or four pickup games going at once on the Friday, which was really cool. Uh, we had a, a couple of people that were running an Infinity event that couldn't make our event, but were able to get some games in. Uh, during the pickup time, uh, which was very, very cool to see. Uh, I always love how conventions allow for this kind of cross-pollination of gaming where people get to see what you're playing or they have stuff and they've brought it because they know that there's going to be an event there. And even if they may not be able to have time for the event just because of how the schedule works out, uh, they're there and they're able to get some pickup games in, which is just really cool to do when you have an opportunity to, to play people that you don't normally get to play. So that was that was kind of the Friday. And, and the Friday we played, uh, the Friday morning we played, uh, Friday morning afternoon, we played uh, one commander just as the tournament. So we were starting to prep for our tournament lists, uh, starting to get in that tournament mentality, uh, and having a really good time with it uh, on the whole. I brought, uh, I brought double mechanized infantry, uh, in my game against uh, Chef Matt, and he brought Grenadiers, and I was bunched up too much for something with area attack, and uh, yeah, I paid for it in the late game. So I was able to trade off trade for the Grenadiers, but he had Royal Ref before that he got to glory, and that uh, sort of got that sort of wrecked the remainder of my force. So Matt ended up winning uh, on the back of Margaret and the. Uh, the Royal Rifle Corps, really good game, real good tight game. It was a, it was a lot of fun to play that in a, uh, a pre-environment. It was a good appetizer for me because I hadn't had a game in a couple weeks just because of how my schedule had sort of worked out. Uh, so definitely want to thank him for that game, uh, for the lesson, and uh, was very excited to go ahead, uh, get some more tables set for our main event uh, that evening. So Six o'clock rolled around. We had a full boat of ten players. Uh, very exciting to be handing out the score sheets, looking at everybody's garrisons. Uh, everybody did a great job utilizing the garrison tool or utilizing scratch paper like I may have and some of my other players may have. But 
we all we all committed to the idea of the garrison, and I think the garrison does amazing things for tournament play. And that's something I want to get into when I touch on the Fields of Glory tournament pack hereafter. So it really helps uh, focus you in terms of what you can bring, uh, focuses down sort of the things you have to consider when you're building your list or what you're going to face. And I think it hones the game in such a way that it makes it a pretty enjoyable tournament experience with some fairly solid list diversity, even within those 40, 40, soul stone, or 40 script garrisons uh, that you're playing with at the one commander level. Uh, so we'll get into the tournament here. Uh, we had a full boat, 10, 10 people, so we had five tables running. It was an absolute blast. Uh, the round were, were about an hour and 45 minutes, and we fudged it a little bit on the first round. We gave about two hours because people were running just slightly behind. Uh, but pretty much after that, we were sticking very close to the 145 on the whole. That was with the pairing process. Again, because Fields of Glory allows for such a quick pairing process with how they do the overall scoring, uh, it makes it really a, a tournament organizer's dream uh, in terms of running the event because you just have to do some very simple math calculation, and then you get one number that you can then go ahead and order you know, top to bottom and really do easy pairings and uh, an easy way to determine an overall victor for the event. Uh, without having to get into heavy minutiae on uh, you know, placement or strength of schedules for the most part, because it's very clear in how the numbers match up. So I was excited for that as a TO and as somebody that had helped work on the, uh, on the Fields of Glory pack. So I was excited for how that went from an organizing standpoint. Now, for my games, not so much. Uh, I was playing a bit more of the, the ringer role, in that I was playing in the event, I was not eligible for prizes or any of that that kind of stuff. I was playing primarily for fun uh, and primarily to have us at even numbers. So that made it even better. So with that, uh, I was running double mechanized infantry. Uh, my first game, I was able to take the victory. I uh, was able to take a pretty solid victory. And that set me up to face... Uh, my good buddy, Michael, in the second round, which meant, uh, because me and him have been uh, longtime playtesters of the game, we decided to make it interesting for each other, and he grabbed his bottle of whiskey, and we went ahead and played uh, a drinking game that uh, I would recommend to nearly all of you that are of age to basically, whenever you utilized a, uh, a tactics token that was not for a card draw in terms of like, or card draw or purchasing of stratagems, uh, you had to take a drink. So it made for some interesting play. We had an absolute riot. Uh, he was playing a very interesting Casa list that him and I had discussed previously and he had refined the idea that I had kind of been that we and him had been bouncing back and forth and he had a nice refined casa list that uh, I just played directly into the hands of and he was able to get his second titan to stick uh, because he had a, a basically a bait titan the whole idea with this with this list is you buy emergency repairs immediately you have a two upgrade titan 
two upgrade dreadnought that you run with Casa. Casa basically runs around in your backfield, supporting with shots and supporting with additional shots to this dreadnought. You force the dreadnought down the opponent's throat. If they succeed in taking it out, you immediately bring it back with the emergency repairs that you bought turn one. And because of that, you should be at an, theoretically at an attritional advantage and be able to mop up your opponent. That's exactly what happened in my game. And he was able to kind of utilize this strategy and that list um, and the versatility of that list to go ahead and take the entirety of the tournament down. So that was really cool to see. Uh, that one, we had to play. We had to play an awesome game of Abyssinia on Abyssinia. Um, Casa in Abyssinia, who I have always been a little bit down on, uh, ended up taking the first ever convention tournament for the other side with a really cool concept list. So that was very very fun to see. And then uh, my third game. Uh, I went ahead and just I think I just lost I think I just lost it barely. So very awesome games all around. The third game is a bit fuzzy as I was fairly well um, into the bag after uh, my very enjoyable game with Michael. So really good time uh, for the event. Our, our top three in the event was Michael with Abyssinia uh, running Casa. We had in second place uh, my local uh, player and great friend Al, uh, friend of the show, who has actually been on the show. Uh, he was the one that I did the battle report with a little while ago. And we've got more content coming, uh, is our intention. Uh, he was playing his King's Empire, and he was playing with Margaret Bell. And he rode that to a second place uh, finish. Uh, he was very close points-wise to... Uh, to Michael, so it was a a pretty good pretty good battle overall in that department. And then we had Kevin uh, in cult with Cult of the Burning Man taking our third place. Uh, so in again to re to restate, Abyssinia number one, King's Empire number two, and in third place, Cult of the Burning Man. Now for paint, there were some very awesome painted forces. There were also some very awesome just primed forces uh, that came out. And there was a couple people that hadn't even had time to prime, but they came out and played anyway. But the ones that were absolutely gorgeous this entire weekend were... My number one spot for the whole of it was our winner of Best Painted on Tournament 1 for Friday, which was Ariel. She had absolutely gorgeous gibbering hordes. She had a wonderful-looking storm siren. You can see pictures of it up on the uh, the other place or the the other side uh, fan group on Facebook. Definitely check it out. Uh, absolutely gorgeous models. A beautiful storm siren. Utterly amazing striped skulkers with really good um, indigenous camo. Uh, additionally, she has fantastic-looking Karkanoi. They were utterly amazing, uh, a joy to see on the table, and these were some of her first games of the other side ever. So it was even more cool 
because these were some of uh, the first games that they had, had even had a chance to play as they had spent so much time getting prepped to get them on the table. So it was wonderful to see. I was very happy to give her uh, the best painted for our first event. Very well-deserved. Awesome-looking army. So in essence, every single... And again, a Jibbering Hordes also took the spoon and the giant bottle of whiskey. So that was awesome to give out. Uh, it was great to see that we had all four uh, allegiances represented and all four allegiances walked away with prizes. So that was really cool to see uh, for our day one event. And we had just an utter blast. We played basically six until midnight, three games, boom, boom, boom. Very quick, very easy resolutions on the whole. Great crew of people. And we had an amazingly diverse group of people that were playing with us. We had a variety of ages. We had, you know, we had women present. We had men. We had all types of people coming together, playing this game. And it was utterly awesome. It was so cool to be part of this experience for the very first convention tournament for the other side and so it really makes me hyped for where this game is is going and where it can go simply because it's a great game it is an absolutely wonderful game and what was also really cool to see was again passers-by coming up to us after the match was after the matches had started or after the tournament was over or during the tournament to talk about it and nearly all of us to a t would stop and talk to them about the game and kind of evangelize the game. And that was really cool to see. Even in a tournament environment, we had a very awesomely welcoming group in terms of bringing people in, making sure people felt welcome, and making sure that they knew about our very awesome game. Uh, so we had quite a few people talk to us about it. Uh, had quite a few people that told me, hey, I'm, I'm ordering this now. Uh, so that was even cooler to see, including some friends that I hadn't had a a chance to talk with about the game yet because obviously we live in very di very divergent parts of the country so it's always awesome when i get to come together see people i haven't seen even better when i can talk to them about uh, a fantastic game experience that they can then go ahead get into and enjoy as well so our friday wrapped up uh after after friday friday evening um i was still kind of hyped so i stayed around the the gaming area of the convention center uh, for a little bit. We've got some quiet time, uh, basically in one of the in the board game room, and had one of those mystical out of body experiences where you're just sitting there, and all of a sudden a gentleman walks up and asks you if you want to buy some Girl Scout cookies, and he has legitimate Girl Scout cookies uh, for sale at the regular Girl Scout price because of how the Northeast works. So. Even more awesome, I had an awesome tournament, awesome time on Friday night, and I went ahead and got some Girl Scout cookies for uh, just for being there for a couple bucks. So that was a true top-off to a wonderful Friday night at Captain Con. So went to sleep, got up early the next morning, not because I had to, not because we had a tournament that day, because the tournament for that day, day was in the evening. I had placed all of them in the evening, particularly after uh, the Malifaux event, because 
the intention was the Malfoy event was probably going to be larger. We wanted to make sure that we accommodated folks that wanted to play in both uh, for that day. And for the most part, we did. Uh, the Malfoy event was not as large as it was initially anticipated to be. Um, some of the steam got taken out of it when uh, third edition was announced, but that was all prior to the uh, the beta coming out in terms of an open beta. So the idea was it was going to be a swan song tournament, and that was not uh, what a lot of the community wanted. But we did get some benefit from that uh, in terms of our game, in terms of the the other side game for the Saturday. But on the Saturday uh, again. We set up early. Um, I actually had tables out and up uh, down there around 10 o'clock. And sure enough, we started getting pickup games again, uh, including an epic four-way game between myself, uh, Al, Kevin, and Michael. Uh, so we had Call to the Burning Man, we had Abyssinia, we had Abyssinia, and we had King's Empire all vying for... Uh, all vying against each other in singular combat in Seas Ground, uh, which is a very interesting scenario. It really does allow for a four-individual game to go on, and it it was a very interesting concept in terms of it created oddball and oddball animosities and interesting micro alliances as we went about trying to destroy each other. And ultimately, all of us um, ganged up on the wrong people, and the King's Empire was allowed to basically stay relatively unscathed uh, for the bulk of the contest. And because of that, they were able to win in the end. And so I think we all learned a valuable lesson, which is next time we gang up on Al. So uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, that game resolved in about two and a half hours, so... That was the bulk uh, of our Saturday. Then we went and got a, a very lovely lunch uh, with a bunch of the gentlemen uh, that we had been playing with. And so that was really cool to have uh, have some time with everybody together. Then uh, we were getting ready for our tournament event again that evening. Uh, very excited to see again we had a, a full boat of eight people. So again... We had uh, anticipated eight, and we were actually able to draw eight. So always good when you don't have um, true attrition. We had some people that were supposed to be there that weren't, but we had we picked up a few that uh, had signed up late or had uh, come in after. So that was even better to be able to pick up some people on the day. Uh, again, I went for Abyssinia, as that was what I had brought for the weekend. I was originally going to be Jimmy Hordes, and... Essentially, what stopped me was the was the flight. Um, the bag itself that I have for gibbering hordes is not as good as the bag that I have for my Abyssinia, and the Abyssinia travels better. Just it packs nicer, and with the magnets in that, I have a, a stronger hold, uh, magnetized wise, of, of what I have for Abyssinia. Than what I have currently for Jibbering Hordes. There's a couple things I have to remagnetize for Jibbering Hordes, and I just didn't end up having time to get everything set the way I wanted to for it to travel with me to uh, to Captain Con. So I ended up playing playing Abyssinia, 
uh, just both days, which was a lot of fun. Um, I went with a little more traditional list in uh, in this setup, and it served me a lot better. I had uh, electrocutioners and uh, and Mahals, so I avoided the uh, avoided for the most part the mechanized infantry, and it served me very well as part of the go forward. And what was very interesting is that our King's Empire player uh, Al. Uh, he played basically the box. He played the box set. I mean, it wasn't even basically. He did play the box set. He played two uh, Royal Rifle Corps and a box and a unit infiltrators, and then he swapped out Charles for Margaret Bell, and that was what he played. And then for our Call to the Burning Man player, he swapped back into the box set uh, plus two Raving Madmen for uh, for Call to the Burning Man. So he had two units of warped, two Raving Madmen. And a unit of portals. And this slight change for both of them uh, propelled them into the uh, the number one and number three spots. Yet again. So it was very, or sorry, number one and number two spots. Again, uh, King's Empire took number one. And uh, Cult of the Burning Man took number two with Michael's Abyssinia edging me slightly for number three. And my Abyssinia coming in at number four about three points behind Michael's Abyssinia. So I had a much better showing uh, this day with, uh, with the list that I took. I had Electrocutioners, I had Mahals, I had a unit of uh, Basokev, and then I alternated between Unafi and the Lord of Steel and had quite a bit of fun with the list uh, in that fashion. Basically, I, I took Medal of Honor with both. Uh, three, <laughs> three Tactics tokens coming out of Unafi is... It's something you need to experience if you haven't experienced it before. It is a lot of fun, and uh, I would recommend it to everyone if you get a chance. Um, this one wrapped uh, much earlier. We were done about 11 o'clock uh, because we were basically all going at a much more rapid pace. Most of the games were wrapped up within an hour and a half. Uh, it was You could definitely tell people had been in the convention mindset. We were used to all playing. Um, at time now, and uh, it really helped means uh, that the game moved much more smoothly, much more rapidly, and it was very cool to to see. I had the I had the pleasure of playing Tom Davis uh, or Thomas Davis for uh, my first game of the evening into his uh, King's Empire. I was able to scratch a narrow victory uh, from him uh, in a very highly tactical game. Uh, he played an absolutely brilliant game and set traps uh, into uh, into my Abyssinia, and I was just able to edge him. And I was very thankful that I was able to edge him. It was a really strong game. Um, really appreciated the game that uh, that Tom did. Really appreciated Tom as a whole. Uh, he was a real bright spot for our tournament. So I uh, want to thank him again for coming out uh, and supporting the game. So that was that was awesome. So I had a, a very fun game. Uh, with Tom, highly tactical. Uh, he played Charles Edmonton uh, in this matchup, and I was able to kill off Charles. Uh, and even with me killing Charles, he still kept me to only beating him by one point. And I had to really work to do it. Uh, so it was it was one of the games that I absolutely love. It's one of those things where you get into a nice tactical grind, and I had to think the entire time. There was no easy plays for me, 
and I hope that there was no easy plays for Tom. So it was really good to have a real strong back and forth uh, against a player that I had never had the, the pleasure of playing before. So that was a very, very fun and, again, awesome game. And that was enough to get me to face Kevin, and Kevin's called to the Burning Man. And here I played as well as I could. I had played a lot of cult in Alpha, and I had played against a lot of cult in Alpha. And as we have just transitioned into just playing normally, and we were proxying a lot, just playing normally, uh, and then when our, our models came, I had pretty much stopped playing Colt altogether because I had Jiren Hordes and I had Abyssinia, and these were what I was going to be playing, and I, my normal opponent is King's Empire. So my table time into Colt is nowhere near the level that uh, Kevin's is into Abyssinia because his primary opponent for the longest time has been Michael, and Michael plays Abyssinia. He also plays during hordes. So Michael's experience, or Kevin's experience into the Abyssinia matchup is far greater than mine. And that experience difference uh, and table time difference was shown radically. I was able to put up a, as much of a fight as I could. And then over the course of the final turns, uh, Kevin was able to go ahead and edge out, or not even edge out, just able to get the max victory against me. So hats off to him. He played a phenomenal game. Uh, I did uh, I did what I could. I, I could have done a few things very differently. Uh, those are The beauty of hindsight and the beauty of, of looking at your game afterward is that you can do those things and, and think about how uh, you could have done better. Uh, a lot of it would have been in the assets that I took. Uh, another thing that I could have done a bit differently is just how I deployed and some of the overly aggressive choices that I made in the game that uh, Kevin's play deliberately punished me for. So he was able to really um, take advantage of the fact that I was being very aggressive. And because of that, he was able to keep me out of position for the bulk of the game. And so it was a good lesson to me on remembering that while aggression is good, you have to have a reason to be aggressive. and You have to have an aim for what you're doing. And just being aggressive for aggressiveness sake is something that an opponent can take advantage of you on. So good lesson for me. Um, phenomenal game. Really enjoyed playing Kevin. Uh, he's a very good player. He has me very excited for Call to the Burning Man, uh, which I had actually just ordered prior to going to Captain Con, so very excited to have that, very excited to start integrating that into some of my game, that way I'd have less of a blind spot, and we have less of a blind spot in uh, my local meta, and I can start demoing people with all four of the available factions, as I have uh, all four available for people to try. So that is exciting for me. And then in my final game, I got to face Ariel's awesome-looking uh, Jibbering Hordes, we played a really fun game. Uh, I had uh, I had the pleasure of playing her and her gorgeous army, and then at the end of it, once we once we had kind of played, um, I was able to talk with her a little bit about some of the experience I have had with gibbering hordes, and try to provide uh, one general to another just some things 
that she could have done in the match because I'm much more familiar with it than she is to take advantage of the fact that or take advantage of how my army plays versus how her army plays and these are things that you only pick up if you've played the matchup a fair amount so it was really cool to have a, a nice conversation after the game um, and kind of talk through some ways to uh, in some ways to improve so that was that was awesome to have um, that really cool conversation and just admire the uh, the absolutely fantastic army uh, that she brought and at the end uh, end of the rankings on on Saturday yet again uh, King's Empire was our number one Call to the Burning Man was our number two and in third place was Abyssinia and also in fourth place was Abyssinia and then our best painted went to Stephen Hop who was our other uh, our other Gibbering Hordes player on the day, on the Saturday. Again, he had an absolutely phenomenal-looking Horamitanji army. Uh, it was very, very cool. Uh, it's really awesome to see Horamitanji on the table uh, and Horamitanji in a, in a single commander. It's something that I, I experimented with a bit, uh, and he was a much braver person than I was. So I, I appreciate somebody coming in and putting him on the table and uh, and playing him in, in the single commander. Uh, Hormatanji definitely shines more in a dual commander environment. I actually think that most of the uh, the non-Storm Siren during Horde's commanders shine a bit more in single commander, or shine a bit more in dual commander, just because of the nature of how uh, Jibbering Hordes works. And Jibbering Hordes basically functions because its commanders are so strong and add so much to the army, but they all add something a little different. And the most complete in terms of adding everything that the Gibbering Hordes needs is Storm Siren, which is why she's so strong for Gibbering Hordes in single commander. Where in dual commander, really any of the mix of the three really provides some dynamic play uh, when you're in the two commander environment. And really ups the power level of Gibbering Hordes as a whole. So... That was that was kind of an interesting bit uh, to see. So, and then uh, the other beautiful thing was I was able to I was able to to win my game against Ariel, and in doing so, that actually got her to be our spoon winner, and that got her uh, the giant bottle of booze for the second day. So she had a, a nice bottle of scotch to uh, to be sent off with. For the event, um, wonderful two events, wonderful people uh, to have met with and spoke with and had opportunities to play with on the uh, on the Friday and the Saturday of Captain Con. So again, I want to thank everyone that came out to the tournaments that we run. I want to thank everybody that was at Captain Con uh, that came over and talked with us and looked up the game. Uh, I hope that you're enjoying playing it. I hope that you get into it. Uh, and for those that didn't have a chance to come out to Captain Con, try and make it next year. Uh, we're going to make it bigger. We're going to make it better. We're going to do some uh, some team tournament next year. We're going to look to do a you know two commander tournaments as well. Really start to build this thing up and out. And I'm very excited for the future of the game. The future of uh, it as a tournament game, I think, is very very bright. And a big part of that is the Fields of Glory. Uh, document that tournament document that Weird has released released just prior to the event. 
Uh, you may notice that if you looked at the CaptainCon descriptions, you may have seen some things that look very much like that tournament document and what we displayed, and that is not by accident. Uh, so very excited to have uh, the Fields of Glory now fully active for everybody to see. Um, so I want to have some, want to have a little bit of comment about that here. So Fields of Glory is the new tournament document for the other side by Weird Miniatures. Uh, it is available directly on their website, and it is a very good tournament document on the whole. So what it allows you to do is it gives you everything you need as a tournament organizer to set up a tournament of Fields of Glory, or to set up a tournament of the other side. And it gives you all of the tools you need. It tells you exactly what your player's responsibilities are. It gives you proxy policy. Um, it lets you know that you're going to be using the, the rules of the game from the game rulebook, in addition to the FAQ and errata, and that uh, you as the TO are the ultimate authority for the event on that day. Um, if it can't be disputed, it can't be equated um, alternately. Uh, additionally, it lets you know about how to get prize kits if you have a, uh, a henchman that is running the event, which is what uh, Weird utilizes as their um, volunteer core, essentially. They're volunteers that, uh, that help run events for Weird, uh, and as part of running those events, they can earn points that they can then turn in for prize kits to run events and, and give people some cool stuff. Uh, there's this talk on. There's a spot on deck etiquette. There's a spot on sportsmanship. Uh, walks through some things for the organizer in terms of making sure you have a good location. Uh, communication gives you some tips on tracking sheets. Gives you some tips on rules queries, comments on games, and judgment calls. Additionally, and this is something I am incredibly a big advocate for <coughs> for tournaments in general, uh, particularly for the other side, and that is the other side. Fields of Glory events do not require any player to have their models painted, but players are greatly encouraged to do so. The hobby aspect of Wargaming is very rewarding, and a painted company on the table looks much more intimidating to opponents. And any player who wishes their models to participate in the painting competition should inform the TO when they check into the event. So every event of Fields of Glory should have a painting competition that is part of the tournament, in terms of it is some, it is a prize that they can win uh, for participating in the tournament with a painted portion of their company. So what are the entry requirements? Entry requirements are a painted commander and two fully painted squads. Though TOs may decide to go larger or smaller, models count for their painting competitions. This model, The models entered in the competition must be from the allegiance the player has chosen for the event and within the player's garrison for the event. So you take a portion of your garrison. Typically, it's going to be one commander and at least two squads. You're going to go ahead and present those, and you're going to put them up for judging. And then in the infinite wisdom of the document, they have also provided judging criteria. So you can award 0 to 5, prints, zero to five points for presentation, 0 to 5 points for technique, 0 to 5 points for theme, and 0 to 5 points for wow factor. couple of other great things in here. Conversion policy. The players are expected to use the official model when playing. This facilitates ease of understanding for the players and the opponent. That said, conversions are allowed at Field of Glory events, 
with the following restrictions. The model B must be must be or built off the model it is intended to represent, and the model must clearly represent the model it is converted from. So you can do some conversion work. You should probably start with the base model, or at least parts of it, and get something that ultimately you can very easily define as that model in terms of the conversion policy. So pretty easy. This is the other part I love about the painting competition. Repeat entries. No models that were part of a painting competition victory are eligible to win another painting competition put on by the same TO in the same year. Players are encouraged to keep painting more models to add to their collections and submit new pieces for subsequent painting competitions. So this is why you don't want to do an army-wide um, painting competition because you would exclude everything in that army for it. But doing something like a commander and a couple units, or doing, if you're just starting out, having people present a squad or a unit, you know, you can go ahead at that point and then just start doing these micro competitions as well. Uh, that way you give people multiple chances to win, multiple chances to try as you're building up your communities. And then at judging at some point during the event, uh, determined by the TO, usually at the first round, painting competition entrants must set up their models for judging. The competition judge will then review each piece and score the highest score entry of the painting of is the winner of the painting competition. So now we're going to get to sort of the the ease of gameplay. For, from a tournament structure standpoint, there are rules around how many attendees and how many rounds. Uh, they give you a uh, idea for time limit in terms of if you're doing a one commander game uh, or two commander games. And then uh, lets you know about how much time it should take for round pairings, those type of things, and making sure that you're calling out time in a timely fashion to make sure people are ending the game properly. Uh, additionally, there is a, a notation on slow play of not to do it uh, and penalties around that. And then there's additional instructions around ringer and buy. And then there's a really cool optional rule uh, that I would encourage players to try and utilize if they haven't already. If they're looking for a little bit sharper tactical game from the other side, one of the things you can do is utilize what are called close objectives. So during physical work tournaments, objectives cannot be placed in a way that one, either one or both players cannot reach the objective through normal play. Close objectives. For further variation, for further variance in tactical gameplay, TOs may implement the following optional rule regarding objectives. If an action gained from an operation would require a fire team to within three inches in line of sight of an objective, the fire team is instead required to be within one inch in line of sight of the objective. So basically it shortens your objective interaction range from three inches to one inches. And this has a radical effect on the game itself, and I think it makes it a much sharper, more tactical game in a lot of cases. And I am a huge fan of close objectives as something to do from time to time. It is not a required rule. It is something that a TO may implement. Um, so when you're, when you're Fields of Glory, make sure you're utilizing Fields of Glory, make sure you are indicating whether you're going to use regular objectives or you're going to be utilizing close objectives. Uh, I am a fan of both. Uh, I personally prefer close objectives a bit more. But that is just me. So now, here's the big reveal. Here is how scoring works in Fields of Glory. At the end of each round, each player's record the results of their game based on the operation used and the formula below. A player earns a number of tournament points based on the result of the game. 
players earn 10 base tournament points for a game. Each player then adds their different differential to their TP for the game. And if a player wins a game, they gain an additional 2 TP. A player's diff is equal to the difference in the number of victory points between themselves and their opponent, to a maximum of plus 8 and minus 8. For example, the final score of a game was 8 to, if the final score of the game was 8 to 4, the winning player would have a differential of plus 4 and the losing player would have a differential of minus 4. The player would also record the total number of victory points scored in the game. The final result of a round should look like this. 16 point 16 tournament points plus 4 diff 8 VP, 10 TP for winning a game, plus 4 diff, and plus 2 for, I'm sorry, 10 TP for playing a game, plus 4 diff, and an additional 2 for winning the game for a total of 16 tournament points. The TO will then add the round results to any previous results from the overall tournament standings. So, what does this do for you as a tournament organizer? Well, what this means is now you can have a singular number represent each player in the game and their overall result. So to again give you further further idea of how this works, if you were the losing player in that scenario, your tournament points would be 6 because you get 10 points for playing a game of the uh, playing a game of the other side in the Fields of Glory event, you then add your differential. Your differential is minus 4, so 10 minus 4 is 6. So your result would be 6, your opponent's result would be 16. So then you would go ahead and add your next round to it. So you'd figure out where you were at. So let's say your next round you ended up winning, let's say you ended up winning by, by 10, or you ended up winning by 10. So you would get 10 points for playing a game. Your differential is maxed out at plus 8, so you get plus 8 for 18. You won the game, so you get an additional 2 bonus TP. So you go 18 plus 2 is 20. So you go up to 20 points. Uh, so now, your previous round you had lost, so you only had six tournament points, you just, won your, you just won your round, so now you're at 26 total points, because you add your 20 that you got as a result of winning the game by eight or more, and you add your previous round result of six for a total number of 26. This means very quickly you can rank all of your players, see exactly where they are and exactly who they should be facing very quickly and very cleanly by having all of this represented by a singular number. So I am a huge fan of this. So in terms of standing, you're going to be ranking them from highest to lowest as follows. Players are ranked by their total tournament points. So players with higher tournament points finish above those with lower tournament points. Players who are tied in tournament points are ranked by their strength of schedule. When two or more players are tied on both categories, then they receive a joint placing. For example, if both players are tied for 7th, they would both place 7th, and the player below would then finish ninth. Strength of schedule. If two players are tied for tournament points, they are ranked by their strength of schedule. This is the value 
This value is the combined tournament points of all opponents that a player has played against throughout the tournament rounds. So again, very easy. You can just see who they played against, add those, per, they add their opponent's tournament point numbers, and determine who has played the tougher one by seeing who has the higher number in their uh, in that column. So very very easy, very very clean. Really easy to do with just a base spreadsheet. You could do it just with pen and paper. Phenomenally easy way to look at tournament results. Additionally, the game allows to give you uh, agreed results for a round uh, and additionally forfeited games. So additionally, there's an additional rule that you may implement uh, for to speed up tournament play and limit excessive tournament scores. Uh, TOs may implement the following optional rule regarding victory points. If at the end of the turn, if at the, if, if at the end of any turn after the second, if a player's victory points exceed the victory points of their opponent by 12 or more, the game immediately ends and the winning player scores a diff of plus 8. So this is the de decisive victory rule. Uh, it's sort of a rule to provide a way to end a game more rapidly if that's something that you want to allow in your tournament. It's not something you have to do, but it is a, a rule that you can allow, and it does allow for some interesting strategies to kind of come about in how you're playing, uh, and it does force people to interact with the scenario. So I am I am a fan of, of utilizing decisive victory uh, in the tournament setting for those reasons, but it is not something that you have to do. Again, these are optional rules. That Field of Glory allows you, as a tournament organizer, to pick and choose what you're going to implement. So in terms of the game structure, you're going to define the size of your game. So there are you can do a one-commander tournament, you can do a two-commander tournament, you can do a theater war, and you can do a no-man's land. Part of it is going to determine, based on the size of game that you have selected for your tournament, will determine the garrison for your tournament. And garrisons are amazing. They are... Basically, how we do lists for the other side in terms of limit, they're a limiting factor that still allows you for creativity in your list itself. So, during Fields of Glory tournament, players must provide a garrison with a TO before the start of the event. The armories consist of commanders, units, and assets. Any envoys that are in play, player may hire during a game, and all the strategies that they choose from when, when creating their strategy deck. Player's garrison cannot contain more units with the same name than the number of commanders they may have in their garrison. For example, in a one-commander tournament, a garrison cannot contain more than two units with the same name. As you are allowed a maximum of two commanders, you get 40 script width of units and assets and any eight stratagems. For a two-commander game, you have the ability to take three commanders in your garrison, 75 script worth of units and assets and any 10 stratagems, and one envoy. While the size of the garrison for any tournament is up to the TO, below is listed the recommended size for the garrison, depending on the game size of the tournament. So you do have leeway as the tournament organizer to vary these garrisons a bit. Again, the games itself are still going to be based on the one commander script or the two commander script if you're playing two commander but the garrisons themselves allow you to bring just a fixed set of models that you're going to have access to to build your list from 
in each game. So you still get some list building elements, but you don't get access to everything that you have or everything that your faction has access to. Um, again, uh, from the game itself, you're going to select game size. This is skipped because the Fields of Glory tournament uh, is going to dictate what that game size is. In many tournaments, the terrain is going to already be set up, may not be defined. So you're going to have time to discuss this with your opponent. The table should have about 25 to 30% of the surface covered so that the terrain has a relevant impact on gameplay. Uh, you're then going to pick your allegiance. Uh, allegiances for the tournaments are always fixed across all rounds. Allegiance player uses is set up when they check in for the event. Information about which allegiance player are using is public and therefore should be shared with the opponent before an envoy and commanders are picked. Players may only pick commanders and envoys contained within their provided garrison. Uh, the operation is typically determined by Fields of Glory. They're going to utilize the standard operations, uh, and they tell you where they can find them in this tournament document. And the player with the higher standing at the event is considered the attacker on the first round. The attacker is randomly determined. Hire company. Player may only hire units and assets provided in your garrison. Each player's stratagem deck must contain strat the stratagems listed in the player's provided garrison. All other aspects of the encounter setup and gameplay are the same as presented in the game rules. So let's talk about a couple of uh, additional tournament modes that are in this game document. Uh, Theater of War. Uh, in a tournament, the first rounds are one commander. First two rounds are one commander, and all other rounds are two commander games. In this case, each player's garrison may contain three commanders, 75 scripted unit assets, any 10 stratagems, and one envoy. I am particularly proud of this um, game mode. It is, it is something that is near and dear to my heart, and the concept of it is to allow for essentially a, a quick placing uh, tournament in the first few rounds when things are a little more random. We're going to be playing one commander, and then, again, assuming a five-round tournament, your final three games are going to be at the two commander level, and this sort of allows you the ability to play a little a little bit larger game when you're facing people that should be around your same skill, uh, and so I think it I think it makes for a pretty good tournament environment. Additionally, if you're just going to play a three rounder, it lets you kind of do a league in a day, where you know, kind of an escalation league in a day where you, you maybe play one game with this one commander and a portion of your voice. You play the second commander with a portion of your voice, a portion of your the other portion of your force, and then those two forces come together and they play a final game where you're playing a two commander with everyone. You know, a two commander game is your final round and lets it be a, a little bit more of a test of skill and will. Uh, I am a big fan of Theater of War. I think it's going to be something that we'll utilize in uh, at, at tournaments going forward uh, for me. Uh, and then in No Man's Land, this is the team tournament format. You're going to be using the Confederation rules for multiplayer. And you're still using the operations detailed in this document. Each player gets one commander. Uh, Confederation share deployment zone, but only one player in the Confederation handles variable rules in the setup. In this case, each player's garrison may contain two commanders, 40 script worth of units, and assets in any eight stratagems. Uh, then the game document basically gives you uh, the, the same deployment zones that you've utilized previously. It gives you a nice command or nice garrison sheet, and then it goes over the strategies for you. And that is Fields of Glory. It's 13 pages of awesome. <coughs> Go download it. Check it out today. 
Uh, I highly recommend it. It is uh, it is quite choice if you have the means. So again, Captain Khan was utterly phenomenal. Uh, it was amazing to play the other side, basically uninterrupted for four days. And what was amazing about it as well was the fact that I didn't have the mental fatigue that I've had from other games having played that much. I played before the tournaments, I played during the tournaments, and then uh, several nights we stayed up multiple hours late in the evening talking about the games we just played, uh, talking about life in general, and, and just talking about the game, and then going back and playing it again. And I wanted more. I kept wanting to play more. So I am so energized for this game as a whole, for this show, and I am very excited to continue to bring you uh, other side content as we go forward. Uh, I am looking forward to getting my Cult of the Burning Man painted up, and I am looking forward to playing you at uh, at the local store, at uh, conventions that I'm able to get out to as, as much as I can, and I want to remind everyone that the next chance for you to play the other side in a convention setting is actually at Adepticon. I will not be there, unfortunately. Um, well, fortunately and unfortunately, I have, uh, I have, uh, you know, I've got some kids coming, uh, which is very, very awesome. I'm very excited for for me and my wife. Uh, but because of that, it's getting into the danger zone. So at that point, I don't have an ability to travel cleanly uh, because I don't want to be away if something were to happen. So forbidding all of that. Uh, I will not be at Adepticon, but I will be rooting everyone on that is going to be playing in the uh, the other side events that uh, Weird is hosting. So Weird themselves are going to be hosting those. They have a, a one-commander tournament, I believe two days, and then they also have Titan Smash, uh, which is a really cool format that is all about bringing your Titan and just seeing what it can do to other Titans on the table. Uh, in a huge melee brawl uh, with guns. It is a lot of fun. Uh, that is a very cool format, and I do regret not playing it at Captain Con. Uh, that is something we'll have to rectify uh, the next time I am out that way. So I want to thank you all for listening. I want to remind you all that if you have a tactics token, you can make a coordinated strike. People admire their great sporting heroes and how they aspire to stand upon mountains and always be winners and never give less than their all. I once met an old man who told me great stories of legends of old who played hard for the glory of lifting the cup in that moment of triumph these memories kept me enthralled On the field